And um, then turn to uh, Jeremiah 29, 29. And we're now, after 29, we're going to shift gears here. And uh, we're going to just handle 29 tonight, but uh, chapters 30 through 33 are sort of called the Book of Consolation. The Book of Consolation. And I want you to file something away. Just, I'm just going to tell you what's in the first part of chapter 30. I think it's a near prophecy of the return of the Babylonian exiles to Judah. But it's also, remember, a lot of times prophecy has a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. I think it's also a far fulfillment of the prophecy of the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. So why in the world, if it's the book of Consolation, chapters 30 through 33, would it start with the tribulation period? Now, that's my introduction because there's some tough questions here or some tough questions that we ask of God as we move through and see what chapter 29 is all about, okay? And what it is is this. There's a series of letters. I think there might be three or four letters that are referred to here in this chapter, in chapter 29, And you may be so excited because for 28 verse or chapters, we've been reading about God, how he's going to pour out his judgment on the people of Judah, the two tribes, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes, the southern kingdom, and they had the southern kingdom, of course, which included the city of Jerusalem, and God's been telling us why and when and how he's going to pour out judgment on them, and he's going to use an enemy as his servant. The enemies are Babylon, or the Babylonians, which seems kind of weird, doesn't it? It goes against, it chafes against us as Americans. We're the good guys. Other people aren't the good guys. We always win, no matter what happens. We could do anything and God still be in our corner. And so, remember last time, or maybe two times ago, you know, God gave this, in chapter 24, the sign of two baskets of figs. One was a good basket of figs. One was a smelly, rotten basket of figs. You ever get a smelly, rotten piece of fruit or vegetable at your house? We always rot the potatoes. I, I come in the house, I got a real sensitive nose. My wife is really tired of me doing this. But as soon as I come in the house, I know there's a potato somewhere. And she's like, will you just cool it, man? And I know it. There's a potato running wild, you know, juicy, runny, you know what I mean? And that smell it makes. Well, in chapter 24... There's a good basket of figs and a bad basket of figs. And what's interesting about it is the good basket of figs are the figs that leaned, listen to this, leaned into the chastening and judgment of God and went to Babylon or would go to Babylon and not put up resistance and not stay behind. But the rotten, nasty potato, like in my house, or fig, 
are the people who decided they want to stay home. Now think about it for a second. (laughs) You're in Jerusalem or in the surrounding areas, and it's the country that God has chosen to convey His love to the world, and there's been a covenant made between God and His people, and you've grown up hearing about this and thinking about this, and now you've got one guy amongst lots of people who are saying the Word of God, and most of the people are saying, ah, there's going to be peace. Don't worry about it. There's going to be peace. We've been talking about it forever. These false prophets come, and they say, no, 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 no. That ain't happening. And Jeremiah keeps saying, no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Remember, he's from a priestly family. He has to stand in the gates of the temple areas and say these hard, difficult things. And there's been a lot of confusion and a lot of anger in in the religious circles because of that crazy Jeremiah. And yet he had the words of God. He had to stand up. And God kept telling them, you've got to go. You've got to lean in to the chastening. Now, you know this. We've gone over it a million times, especially as we've gone through the book of Job. And we saw, didn't we, that suffering is redemptive. And that for the Christian, there is... No such thing as bad suffering. Now, you know what I'm talking about. I understand that suffering hurts, and we come alongside, and we want to help people who are suffering. That's not what I'm saying. But God says all of it can be redeemed. And the same thing with chastening. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that God chastens his children. You ought to be really worried if God's not chasing you, chastening you or me. That means you're not in the family of God, folks. And he says that he's chastening you to do something great in you. In fact, in the next chapter in Hebrews, after it talks about the chastening, it talks about this, the trials and chastening, listen to this, bringing about peaceable fruit of righteousness. And then it goes on to say, watch this, watch this. For those who are trained by it. In other words, if you resist, you ever see Rocky? I remember coming home from Rocky, telling my dad, that's the best movie I've ever seen, dad. The music just got me. In every Rocky movie, every single one, what happens? The underdog maybe wins or maybe he doesn't win. And then there's another fight, right? And usually at the beginning of the next fight, one of the two fighters don't lean into the training. You know what I mean? They're, you know, like one time, you know, when Rocky has already won, the next time he's real rich and kind of soft and doesn't want to run. You get what I'm saying? And guess what happens to him? He gets the crud beat out of him. See, that's not leaning into training. But then you got like, you know, uh, you know, Clubber Lang or whoever it is, and they're punching away and working out 24-7. They're leaning into the training, and when they go and do the battle, they win. See, chastening leads us to, watch this, the peaceable fruit of righteousness if you'll be trained by it. 
What do you mean be trained by it? Remember, the scriptures say, count it all joy when you find yourselves in trials and tribulations. I mean, count it all joy. Make a conscious decision that you're going to count it. Like, you know, there's nothing I hate worse than numbers, accounting. But it means there to take your spiritual pen and your ledger and put it over in the side that's positive when you're in a trial. Count it all joy. Now, all of this is to bring us to this place, remember, where now the Babylonians in 588 B.C. have now strangled or starting to strangle for two years the city of Jerusalem. It's coming to pass. And remember... The last four kings of Judah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah, weren't very good. But their predecessor, the little young guy, Josiah, he was a great king in Judah, and then they just fell off the wagon, right? And we're now dealing in that time period where these kings, especially the last king, although... (laughs) you're going to read in in chapter 29 here, it's not exactly the last king, but the last king right before um, the Babylonians came in, or right as the Babylonians came in, his name was Zedekiah, and Zedekiah was a weak one. (laughs) And he asked Jeremiah for help, while at the same time he asked other nations for help, and then he also asked Babylon for help. Can you imagine it? And so the reason I'm telling you that is, you can see in Zedekiah and in some of the prior three kings' kingdoms, despite the fact that they were enemies, they had diplomatic relations with one another. Now that's important. You know why? Because letters are being sent back and forth. You're reading here and you're going, letters? How do letters? Well, they had different diplomatic relations with each other. And so here it says in 29 verse 1, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captives or captive, to the priests, the prophets, And all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now this happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Now let's just stop right there. You see, they had these diplomatic relations. Even though they were enemies, they could send messages back and forth. And apparently, God spoke to Jeremiah, and he slipped it in the bag of one of the carriers. It was sent by the hand, verse 3, of Elisha, the son of Zaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying... Now, I'm telling you all that uh, because I want you to see kind of all the dynamics around what's happening right here. Do you remember? I don't think you can understand what we just read if you don't remember that the southern kingdom 
there were three invasions into the southern kingdom. The first one started in 605 B.C. And guess who was taken out in 605 B.C.? Yes, Daniel. And Daniel had a few friends. Do you remember those friends? You remember those friends. Those friends and Daniel were taken out in the first invasion. That happened around 605 B.C. But what they just described to you there about Jeconiah, etc., is the second invasion, 597 B.C., right? So we're now after 597 B.C. I maybe misspoke earlier. Maybe it's not quite 588 B.C., but they're moving towards 588 B.C. So we're in between the second and the third invasion. The third invasion happened in 586 B.C. You're all glazed over. I can see it. But if you don't know 586 B.C., I say this every week, I don't see how you could know the Old Testament because it's in every single book or almost every single book. And that's what's happening here. So here he goes. He, he sends this dispatch, this letter, the first letter that we're going to read about here tonight. He sends this letter sent by the hand of that guy, E and G, And here's what it says in verse 4. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now this, folks, is chastening. There's been (laughs) plenty of, hundreds of years of warning by God. Do you remember when they made the covenant in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy? God said, if you'll follow in my ways, if you'll obey my commandments, you'll walk with me and we'll, all, all things will be a blessing, including there'll be water for your country and all that sort of thing. We've gone through that. But you might say to yourself, if you're doing your devotion and you find yourself in just Jeremiah 29, come on, Lord. Why would you chasten these people? Well, he's giving them hundreds and hundreds of years of warning. You get it? And now their time has come where judgment is coming to the house of Judah. In fact, remember, Jeremiah says, I'll pray for him. God says, don't pray for him. It's a done deal. By the way, Jeremiah keeps praying for them. the heart of a shepherd. Well, it looks bad. Think about it. Whether you're a person who decided to stay back and stay in Jerusalem. You remember in the Bible, it tells us that it got so bad eventually that there was cannibalism in the city. I mean, this was bad. And there was lots of murder and fighting and really much of fighting. It was like the Gulf War. It was just, boom, it was over. And the destruction of the buildings and that sort of thing. This was really bad that what was coming for them. But also, think about it. If you're being asked to be a good fig and to go and to lean into the chastening, this is difficult. You're uprooting your family. You're being taken by someone. I mean, this is a lot of uncertainty. Who here loves uncertainty? And this is a lot of uncertainty. You're being uprooted and taken to a place you've never been. You're going with your kids, your family. You don't know what's coming. I like to know what's coming. 
And, and you know that these people are rough and tough. Who knows if you're going to survive or even live? Your families are going to survive or, li- or even live. And yet, the Lord has said, this is my chastening. <laughs> and you're going to be a good fig if you go and lean in to this. And it says here in verse 5, I can't even believe it says this. God in his letter says, to you who were carried away and now you're up there, I want you to know I've caused it. I've caused you to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. I, I want you to know that. He says, and that's interesting to me. There's this thing where God is in control, and there are things and circumstances in our lives, in your lives, in these people's lives that were hard and difficult, and you and I and we, and many of them were praying, Lord, just leave me alone and keep me in the place of comfort. And if you stay there, it's death and destruction. So God has bringing you up and moving you out of your comfort zone and saying, go, I know what's best because I've done it. Because, see, you and I and we, we serve a God who's fundamentally good. I mean, he is good and kind and compassionate. Oh, yes, he's just, and praise the Lord that he's just. That's chapter 30. Because I'm going to let you in on the secret. He's going to right all the wrongs, including the wrongs done there. Praise the Lord that he's the God of judgment. Well, he's everything. He's good. And he, he wants them in their chastening, and he wants you to know in your chastening that he caused it. You say, was that mean? No, that's not mean. He's doing something for you and in you. He's doing something here for them and in them. And here's what it is. He says now, this one almost, if you really read it, like fresh. I know you know what's coming. But think about it. Man, I'm nervous. I'm up here. Here comes a letter from Jeremiah. I've been just sort of living in the tent and just hanging out. And here's what he says. Hey, uh, God says build houses and dwell in them. What? You mean plant myself here? This is the territory of the enemy. You mean make our presence known here? You mean plant gardens and eat fruit here? What? You You mean live life here? Turn over to the first chapter of Jeremiah. Isn't this interesting? God told Jeremiah right from the beginning... I'm going to tell you, he he doesn't say it exactly like this, but he says, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. This is going to be your ministry, Jeremiah. I hope I know where it is. I think it's in 10. Yep. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Here's what Jeremiah's ministry was. Watch this. To root out and to pull down. To destroy and to throw down. Oh, thanks a lot, Lord. To build and to plant. Now turn back. <laughs> so here he goes. How did his ministry go? Okay, uh, Jeremiah, I want you to send a dispatch 
through those guys that go up to the captives, the, the Babylonian uh, exiles up there. I want you to send a dispatch, and here's what I want you to say. Ready, Jeremiah? Yeah, ready, Lord. Okay, tell them to build houses. What? I want you to live life. I want you to dwell in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their fruit. In other words, I want you to be a normal family up in Babylon. What? And then I want you to take wives and I want you to beget sons and daughters. I want you to be fruitful and multiply among yourselves because let me, you know, let me tell you a little secret here. Because here in a minute, he's going to tell them again, because you're coming home. And we're going to need people at home. But while I've planted you there, I want you to live life. I want you to build houses. I want you to make a presence. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to just live your life. And I want you to, probably in modern parlance, he said, go coach a little league team. Join the Kiwanis Club. Have a presence in the, in the, 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 the city. Take wives, beget sons, daughters, take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And mark that. Because the first thing they had to come to grips with in their chastening, watch this, they had to come to grips with the fact that they were being chastened by God. And they had, and God was not saying it in the way I would say it. Here's what I would say, how I would say it. Get over it. I don't think God said it that way. But what God is saying is, we're, I'm chasing you. I know what is best for you. So I want you to go live life up there. And so the first thing they had to do is they had to lean in or submit to the chastening. Do you get it? Because otherwise, you know what they would say when God said, build a house up there, or plant a garden, go coach a softball team, a soccer team, uh, uh, do whatever, join the Kiwanis clubs. You know what people would say? No way I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that here. I live back there, man. But no, he says, I want you to just live life. So they had to come to grips with it. See, here's what happens for us. We get stuck right here. Because I know it, because you all come. I might come to you too. I'm no, nothing special. I might come to you too and say, hey, could you pray for me and to just help me to get out of this situation? Just pray that I'd get back to Jerusalem. And the Lord's like, no, I want you in Babylon. <laughs> you know, there's this funny verse in I think it's Isaiah 43, 12, and I'm just paraphrasing it. He says, you know, you might walk through fire. Now, I'm not going to stop the fire, but I'll walk, it, I'll walk it through it with you. And so when you read this, you're like, well, wait a second. See, and so there's so many things, places we could go with this. First of all, I want you to see something. The mundane is holy, folks. We're reading a book that's much like Babylon. It's called 1 Corinthians. <laughs> the church is much like Babylon, or at least the area is much like Babylon. And you remember in chapter 10, don't you, when he's talking about food and drink, but ultimately says, hey, whatever you do, food, drink, don't care, whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord. Everything is holy. There, there's no compartmentalizing your life. Well, you know what, when I go to church... 
I'll speak a certain way. And everybody will think, you know, I'm holy, but man, when I get to work, I'm letting loose. Because it's work. Or at my hobby. It's my hobby. Here, I want you to see something. Building houses is what the Lord prescribes in the chastening. Just live life in the chastening. That's one thing. And have a family. These are things. Establish a presence. Have a family in the chastening. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't, I don't get that. Well, catch this. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but we live currently in a world where the prince of the air is an enemy of ours. And in one sense, he has the keys here for now, for now, for now. And I don't know if you've ever checked out inner cities lately, but it's rough. And you know, Babylon is always a picture of the worldly city. Jerusalem's a picture of the spiritual city. We'll actually end up living there. And God's saying, here, listen to this. He's saying things like, quit complaining about your job. I put you there. Because it's dark. And if you don't go, who else will? I, I, I quit complaining about that group of friends or that this. Well, if you're quit complaining that your church is in this section of town or that section of town, that's where we've put you. If you don't go, who will go? And when you get there, wherever it is in your work, if it's a church in this certain part of the town, have a presence there. Instead of building houses at work, Work. <laughs> I mean, don't waste time. Work is under the Lord. Put your Bible on your thing. Uh, read the Bible at lunch. There's going to be opportunities, but work. And you, you know something that's really important, whether you're a family, you know, moving into a certain section of town because the Lord's called you to be in there and to share with your neighbors, or maybe here you are in, in this church in this certain section of town. You know what uh, is really important, or God's put you in that job that you don't like? You know what's really important that people are going to look at? The family. God chooses, in some ways, to reveal himself through the family. And here it is. And it says, watch this. If you don't grasp this in the chastening, if you rub and chafe against it and you buck it, if you buck what I'm doing, there isn't going to be a lot of eternal value. It's going to be diminished. But if you lean into it as much as as you can, as you lean into it, that's know that you're serving a good God and he's given you an ambassadorship to that place or that person or these, this part of the city. If you, if you lean into that and embrace it and make a presence and build strong families, watch this, your influence is increased. Isn't that fascinating? 
But the first thing that we all have to come to grips with is there will be chastening. There will be trials. There will be temptations. That's coming your way. Jesus said there will be tribulation for us. And then it's almost too hard to believe, he says, the next line or the next few lines. Okay, if that's not enough, here's what I want you to do next. I want you to seek the shalom. Now, you don't care about that word too much. But if you were Jewish, you'd know. That doesn't just mean peace like all your ducks in a row. That means everything is in harmony. Everything, spiritually, all all things are in harmony. I mean, that's the ultimate word. And he says, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. So the first thing you have to uh, come to grips with is there will be chastening because you're still a captive. For us in this life, it's not our home. We're free now. We're not captives anymore, but we're we're not at home, are we? We're living in an alien place. We're just passing through. We're going to the place that we want to be. But Lord says, if you don't lean into it, if you keep complaining about it, you're never going to get to this place. Here he says, seek the shalom of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive. I want you to actually seek the shalom, the harmony of the city. Folks, if the Lord's calling you to deliver some meals or straighten up a, um, a, um, a playground or, I don't know, work down at the borough building to help administer something. I'm just making things up. What are you doing? You're seeking the peace, the shalom of the city. Now, I'm not telling you to go and never share the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. But those things can be ends and, 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 and sacred in the sense that it's ministering to. You get what I'm saying? Here he says, seek that peace, the harmony of this city. And then, listen to this, pray to the Lord for it. Pray for where you are. If you're sick of your boss and you're not getting along with your boss, maybe you're rubbing up against or chafing against the chastisement or the tribulation. Maybe you don't have a proper perspective. Maybe I don't have a proper perspective of where and why I'm there. If not you, who will go? And here he says, not only seek the peace, but then pray hard for the place. First, pray for your own heart that you'd have the proper perspective. Then second, pray pray for this city, the people of the city, for in its peace, you will have peace. It's like the first, or it's like the biblical way of saying, a rising tide raises all boats. Didn't Ronald Reagan say that? But anyway. For thus says the Lord of hosts and God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, or diviner, how do you say that? I don't know. Who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, which you have caused to be dreamed. Why? For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. Remember what they were saying from last week? They were saying, Jeremiah is wrong. You're only going to be there two years. But we know from the scriptures, listen, this is important. 
we know from the Scriptures. And, apparently, Daniel read these letters and these uh, prophecies. We know from the Scriptures that it had to be 70 years because, remember, the people of Israel or the people of Judah ripped off the Lord and they didn't allow the land to lay fallow. Is it fallow the right word? Okay, good. Fallow in the seventh year, and they did it for all those years, 490 years, right? It added up, whatever, to 70 years. So they knew it. But the false prophet said, nah, two years, two years. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed, At Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Okay, you remember that? And you know all these scriptures now. Remember I told you 2 Chronicles 36.20 is where it talks about the six-year, seven-year thing. And the original law of that is in Leviticus. So I want you to see something. Here the Lord gives amazing amounts of hope. He gives you hope. I mean, he has every right to do what with these guys and gals? He's been telling them for hundreds of years and hundreds of years, and judgment is coming, but he's go- he says, but I'm going to take you up to Babylon, but you go up there and live your life and be, a, be an influence there and Tell them about me, even while you're there. I know you're in chastisement, but tell them right there. But you, listen, are going to stand upon my word. I told it to you in Leviticus 25, and I told it to you in 2 Chronicles, or at least you knew the law, right? They didn't know the names of the books yet. But I told you this, and thus, and he says, in this letter, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word toward you and come or cause you to return to this place. I want you to see something. I want you to see something. That hope, what is hope? I had one guy here come up to me after the service and said, I'm so glad you explained this because I didn't know this. Hope is not crossing your fingers, hope. Like, I hope it happens. This is a settled conviction. This is you, you have confidence that it is going to happen, and here's why. Not because people are running around saying, two years, two years, two years. It's because you have hope because of God's word. All right? Hope. So I saw something on social media this week about how you can know God is real. And I like, come on. I know what people are talking about. I see it in the mountains. Yes, you do see it in the mountains, of course. The Bible even tells us that God's glory, you know, is seen as creation, of course. And he's such a creator. And I see it in the eyes of a child, you know, these these Facebook posts, right? And yes, that is beautiful. We see life in the eyes of a child. But the Lord tells us where our hope is. He we sang about it, and you can read about it right in First Peter. Go there. In the first chapter. And you all know this. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. This is so fantastic, by the way. Abundant mercy. Not just mercy. 
but abundant mercy, like I keep withholding from you what you deserve over and over again, abundantly. I don't just scrape by with you. I'm just has begotten us again. Listen to this. To a living hope. And what's the living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The answer is, I know there's a God because Jesus died and rose again. Now, I know. I'm not being too critical. Yes, you see the Lord in his creation. Yes, you do. But the... And here's the beautiful part. (laughs) Do you ever wonder why he puts living right there? Because it ain't dying. He ain't dying. They had their hope in prophets. Newsflash. The prophet's going to keel over and die. They had their hope in comfort, living in a city. Newsflash that'll never last. But here we have our hope that's living. It's Jesus himself. What, 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 what do many people dry and wither up about? They have no hope. No hope. Maybe it's a situation. I don't know. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a dead end at work. I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know, something that's crippling them, you know, emotionally or spiritually, and they just feel like they have no hope. But here, what I'm here to tell you, just because I can read the Bible, you do have hope in Jesus, and it's all, he's always alive. He'll never go away, and he'll never fail, because he already passed the test, so to speak. He died and rose again. He can't fail. You have a living hope. There's always hope. Look, think about, think about what he's telling us here. You're, you're going to go. I, I can't imagine worse circumstances than uprooting my family and having to go live with the enemy. Circumstances. I said circumstances. And yet the Lord says, lean into it because I'm doing something so great and in 70 years, your whole family is going to come back. You say, well, I don't know about that. You know, here's what I would say. Well, what if I don't live to be 70, Lord? (laughs) You know, we'd think up stuff to complain about. And if you do, if you do this, if you operate under the things that I'm telling you, you'll increase. But if you don't, you'll decrease. And then... The kicker, this is the one that knocks you over with love. And he goes, because I want you to know something, people of God, he says to the Judah, the people of Judah, I want you to know something. You think I'm chastising you for some reason. Maybe you think I'm mad at you, or maybe you think you have to earn what I do with what you do with me, or maybe, maybe I don't know what it is you're hung up, but I want you to know the, the motivation behind all of this, because I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. In Psalm 139, it says, I think so many thoughts over you. They're like the sand of the sea. You ever got a card from somebody out of the blue and they wrote it and you've read it and, it, you know, it was just, it just touched you. Not so much even what they said. It's like, my goodness, somebody was thinking about me. When I didn't even know anybody was thinking about me, and it just blesses you. And the Bible tells us that the Lord, towards his people, in captivity, 
while he's chastising them, says the whole impetus here, the whole motivation is that I think of you. I'm a good dad, the Lord's saying to you, and I think of you often. I think of you as many times there's sea or sand and uh, pebbles on the sea. That's how much I think about you. Don't you like to be thought about? I'm going to think towards you, says the Lord, and I'm thinking thoughts of here it comes. Shalom. I want when you pray and pour it out, you pray to me and you pour it out in the place that I've sent you. And you lean into the chastisement. You don't buck against it. You lean in. You count it all joy. You, you understand in the trials. He's doing something for, in you. You're, you're, you're being transformed into the image of his son. When you do that, see, here's what happens. Shalom comes to you. And it comes from the Lord. He's thinking of you. And the th- things that he thinks about is peace. When we come into a relationship with God, we have now... Uh, 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 actually, he has established peace with us, or we have peace with God. That's what Romans tells us. But then later it says that because we have peace with God, we now can have the peace of God, and he thinks thoughts of shalom towards you. I think some of us think he's always mad at us, wanting to get us. He's saying this in the midst of the captivity I think that's important. When you're in the middle of a trial or a thing, you're tempted to say, gosh, what, what did I do, Lord? How do I earn it, this back where my circumstances are better? And the Lord says you're totally missing it. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. I'll take you up into the chastisement or even into the enemy camp, and I want peace for you. Wow. So I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace. I don't think evil stuff towards you. I I, I don't think that way. Why? Because I want you to have a future. That's what I'm about. A future. And a hope. He's the God of all hope, the Bible tells us. In Ephesians 2.14, it says Christ is our peace. See, we're, we're running around thinking, my goodness, if he does that or she does this or they act this way, then I'm going to feel so good. The problem is if he does that or she does this or they act this way, everybody over here is going to act up. <laughs> or maybe you're going to act up. <laughs> and if you're living your life, whether this person's, you know, got all their ducks in a row, and that person's got all their ducks in a row, and all that, you're never going to be peaceful. Because that's not life. Here he says, but if you come to me and you respond to me, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking about you. I love you. I know peaceful thoughts for you, and I have a future for you. And boy, folks, all you have to do is uh, move over to chapter 30. Look in verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. 
And we're going to talk about that next week, but I believe that is the 70th week of Daniel that he's talking about. And you're saying, well, okay, now you're, what are you talking about? Well, that's the time of the period of tribulation. And the beautiful part about it is, is even I, can, I, I can't do math very well. I can figure this out, though. In Revelation 6 through 19, it talks about how God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and deals with the nation of Israel. But I know, and I, I mean, I can even do this, 4 and 5 comes before 6 through 19. And 4 and 5, to me, is a picture of us in heaven because we've been raptured there. Because the Bible says that we can pray and we should pray to escape the wrath of God future. And it's beautiful. We have a future with the Lord. We're, going to, we're his bride. We're going to live with him in eternity. And at the end of uh, chapter 19, we're going to come back with him. Jude tells us also, we're going to come with him and rule and reign with him as he judges the nations and the earth. Judgment. It's a blessing. You're saying, well, what are you talking about? It's this. It's that I think thoughts of peace and not of evil. And he's speaking certainly to the Babylonian captivity. But you can see his heart for his people right here. So yes, he is speaking to the Babylonian captivity, folks. But you see his heart and you know the rest of the Bible. There is peace. He doesn't think of evil. And he's going to give us a future. And there's no greater hope than having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit living in your life. There's nothing like it. There's no other hope. You have hope. A settled conviction that the Lord loves you and now you love Him through the blood of Christ and your whole future for 10,000 years is... Nothing, you're going to keep going for eternity with the Lord. Working and doing what He's called you to do with your glorified, resurrected body, worshiping the Lord. And that's forever. That, how much more hope can we have? But, and, and I'm not criticizing everybody. We can sometimes lose our way, right? And we feel like we have no hope. Now, you ladies went to a women's retreat this week. And you know in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm going to struggle to find where it is, but it says that we're to have an eternal perspective. Remember that? Where it says it like in verse 16 maybe or something like that. That we're to have, we have this hope. We have this treasure in these earthen vessels. And that's the Spirit of God lives right in us. And now that we have the Spirit of God, our minds are to have eternal perspectives, right? To remember hope. The Lord wants you to remember hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You remember the ask at the Sermon on the Mount? Ask, seek, knock. Jesus told us to do the same thing. He told the, ba uh, the Babylonian captives it. Jesus told us this. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And I'll be found, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from your captivity. For us, what does he do? He's brought us out of captivity. 
We were slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us by the blood. Praise the Lord. And I'll gather you from all the nations. Circle that. That's important. In other words, I think that's a little reference there, not just from Babylon. (laughs) And from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive, because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David. Uh, He's talking about the king who's sitting back in Jerusalem, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword and famine and pestilence and will make them like rotten figs. Those are the ones who stayed home. That's chapter 24. That can't be eaten. They are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, pestilence, and I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them, to my servants, and the prophets rising up early and sending them. Neither would you heed, says the Lord. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all of you, of the captivity who I have sent. And he's saying here, well, let's just go on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kolaiah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maaseiah, who prophesy a lie to you. Now he's talking about two false prophets. Notice they're named after bad kings. The worst of all kings, Ahab, and Zedekiah, who is real weak. And these were false prophets who lived among the uh, captives up in Babylon, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I'll deliver them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. He turned these folks over to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, to these false prophets, killed them. I just want you to see something real quick, and we'll close out. Watch this. It's really dangerous to follow false prophets. It's dangerous to be a false prophet. But don't be following a false prophet. And listen, I want you to know something. False prophets are also always interested in self, which includes lots of this, and luxury, But they always prey on people who are in tribulation. So watch it. It leads to death. They've done disgraceful things. Not only are they prophesying falsely, but they've committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. Lord. They're not willing to live by faith. And what the Lord says, they're wanting to prop themselves up. So you shall also speak to Shemaiah, the Nehemite, or however you say that, Nehalamite. Another false prophet, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem. 
He sent this letter, this guy named, this false prophet, this S guy, this Shemaiah, he's mad at Jeremiah, and he sent a letter back to Jerusalem to Zephaniah, the son of Meseliah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, the Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in the stocks. What he's saying, Jeremiah, put him in prison, will you, Zephaniah? Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat their fruit. And last week, didn't we talk about this? Where do you want to go to church? Not advocating or you know, trying to get you to come here. Do you want to go where they tell the truth? Or do you want to go where they itch your ears? What friends do you want to have? People who are lovingly telling you the truth or just always, oh, you're just so wonderful and the way you, you know, you know, you rip your boss is just so wonderful. I mean, you're so pleasant when you do it. I, you, who, who do you want to be friends with? You want godly people. Okay. Now, Zephaniah the priest, isn't this fascinating? He takes that letter and reads it in the hearing of Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah Send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehalamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehalamite and his family, and he shall not have anyone to dwell among his people, nor shall he see the good that I would do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. Now, what, what is this teaching us? Well, first of all, it's teaching us, Know your Bible. Be a Berean. Don't get duped by a false prophet. That's one thing it's saying. But it's also telling you another thing. You know that the enemy of your souls is a liar, a murderer, a deceiver. He is the ultimate person, or uh, he's the ultimate one of rebellion, right? And so there are these forces out to get you, and here, we know that there's this hope again that ultimately our enemies are going to be defeated. We know that because we've been through the book of Revelation. We know the rest of the story. And so while you uh, deal with this now, there will be a right judgment even against our enemies, you see. But here's what I want us to take from this as we go tonight. One, what I want you to take from it is don't buck against the chastisement. <laughs> Lean into it. Live there. Thrive. Pray. Live your life. And see what the Lord does. And two, I want you to see that our, we have a hope, a living hope. It's Jesus himself. But see, when we're going in or through the chastisement or the tribulation, we can either uh, lean on the lies of the things that the world say. Oh, you know, just take it day by day and it'll be over soon. Or, I mean, I, I mean, seriously, what if you said that to Johnny Erickson Tata? She's paralyzed from the neck down. 
I don't know, the Lord could heal her. For sure he can, and he is going to heal her. But what if you told her when she was a 16-year-old girl, just get it day by day, and we'll, we're pretty sure it'll turn itself around next week. Maybe. Or what if we said, like she says, I'm going to just lean into the things, the trials and tribulations, and even though I want to walk, I do want to walk. There's no doubt about it. I want to walk. But in the middle of all that, I'm just going to lean on the promises of God, and I'm going to derive my hope and love and joy from my relationship with God and not my circumstances. Wow. That's hope. Let's pray. Well, Lord, (laughs) help us with this chapter. (laughs) Thank goodness you're the ultimate planner. (laughs) You know the plans that you have for us. And not only do you know the plans that you have for us, which can include chastisement, you're able to execute the plans. And Lord, help us to lay our lives into your hands, the only one who could do that. And in the middle of it all, Lord, help us to be joyful people. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.